0: Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 All-Star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex.
1: Power Athlete
0: Nation, what is happening? This is Tex, and I am joined by my good old school pal, Zach Evanesh. How you doing, buddy?
1: Yeah, baby. I mean, if old school... the movie comes out we better be the stars (laughs) oh
0: 100 are you the frank of the tank in that situation
1: man you know i I haven't dug into that movie enough to know the cast of characters but i'll you know now that we're already on the movie thing let me say this (laughs) kind of went i've gone through like a phase I, i it's been like a few weeks but i went through like a phase of watching like every denzel fight scene on there's like a highlight on youtube 15 minute highlight and um you know most of the fights are from the equalizer which i think is like you know uh hopefully um john's son has watched equalizer one by now he
0: just turned five so yeah naturally
1: it's it's, yeah i mean he should have watched predator first blood and equalizer part one the kill scenes are just amazing and like deep down i want to be denzel (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in case anybody messes with me, I want 15 seconds to kill like six people.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or you got some crazy long form plot and the intelligence to just piece together all these creative kills like in Man on Fire.
1: Yeah, I do that. And so there's scenes of Man on Fire. Um, what was the movie where he's, I guess in the end, he's essentially Jesus Christ who wrote the Book Bible, of Eli. right? What was it? E- e- the Book? Book of Eli. Yeah. Yeah. He destroys, I mean, he's amazing. He destroys those people. And so, um, and you know, I'm not a big movie guy, but I'm on quarantine up until my knee surgery. And so this weekend, I kind of just chilling out. I watched The Shooter, which is a Netflix uh, documentary, not documentary, (laughs) we always say documentary, a Netflix series. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty cool. All
0: right, I'm familiar but the the OG, it was based on this movie by Marky Mark. I have no idea what the movie Marky Mark was based off of, but the shooter was pretty right, good.
1: Because he's one of the directors. And oh. so uh, the guy's like a, you know the best sniper. And there's a lot of like the plot is kind of a lot, a lot of twists and turns. So I finished season one. And uh, I'm not like, I think when people listen to us text, they must think I just sit and watch TV. I mean, I watch TV like an hour on the weekend, if I'm lucky. This past weekend, I really laid low and, and chilled out <coughs> um, and got to watch some of that. So uh, anyway, um, in my next life, I would like to be the equalizer to be able to do that to people. You know? well, yeah,
0: I mean, with your limited time, you got to make the movies count. Yeah. So you have to have high kill rates and yeah. incredible action stars. I get it, man. The, the, this has nothing to do with our topic today, but I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to essentially get it out of the way yeah. so I'm not <clears throat> waiting for it, but let's, let's rock and roll into let's our topic. Yeah. And I reached out to you on this topic in particular because you wear every single hat that we're going to get into today. Yeah. And the, the specific topic is, is parents within sports, within athletics, and there's a whole different age range that I would like to cover, and you have all the experience. One as a coach, and two as the parent, and your yeah. your daughter's high high class tennis athlete. Serious so I imagine tennis. Fourteen very and serious. And
1: yeah, <clears throat> traveling like you know we've been going to Florida every year since she was probably four. You know my wife organized that stuff, researched all that. <clears throat> she was recently in South Carolina. And my son is 12 and a half baseball, also plays basketball for the recreation, wrestled for like two years. Um, He hates wrestling. So there goes that. So there goes that. I'll probably just kick him out of the house if that's the way he wants to be. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to be your dad. Listen, if you don't like wrestling, I don't need to be your dad anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the equalizer, he started out wrestling and now look at him.
1: I know. So, you know, I thought I had it all right. My son was watching. Predator, you know, Rambo First Blood. And here we are now. He doesn't like wrestling. So somewhere along the way, I screwed up.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, fail he, parenting he, fail hashtag parent fail.
0: Lean into the WWE and the fictional wrestling. So <laughs> hopefully right. he'll take on the real thing
1: when well, he gets listen, the opportunity. It came in handy. I don't, I think we got into this last time we chatted, but <clears throat> two or three years ago. One of his buddies on the baseball team was, you know, trigger treating, and invited him to go in his neighborhood, different, you know, neighboring town. I bring him to this kid's house, where they the parents give me an address to meet him and his friends. They're playing, you know, like kill the man with the ball. This is God. This must have been three years ago. I'm thinking, and um, my son is the only outsider, not from this town. He doesn't know any Mm -hmm. of the kids, minus his buddy on the baseball team. And um, there's one kid, you know, there's like six or eight of them. Whenever he kind of tackles Ethan, he kind of like digs him with an elbow or hits him with a knee. And and there's me and like two other dads. And I'm like, man, this kid's a little mf -er." And so um, they start announcing, what's this next game, blah, blah, blah. And then the kid goes, yeah, all of us versus Ethan. And I'm like, man, when do you step in as a dad? So then a dad says, first of all, this kid's dad's not there. Dad goes, no, 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 tough. You want to be a tough guy? Mono y mano. You versus Ethan. So he's like, okay. So he tries like grabbing Ethan. Like he's like grabbing him. This kid I think was like a football player, lacrosse player. They're like 10 years old, nine years old. He grabs Ethan and Ethan is used to like, that's exactly where you tie up. He starts pushing Ethan. And in wrestling, if somebody's pushing into you, You could throw them easily. So Ethan just like hip tosses him, brings him, like basically hip tosses him. Kid lands on his back. Ethan's on him. And Ethan says, I can do this all day. (laughs) So I was like, oh man, that is great. And then the dad's like, that kid is a (laughs) douchebag. That's what he says to me. He's like, I'm so glad your son did that. He's like, that kid is a douchebag. And so I know I was proud dad there because leading up to that, I see what's going on. They're not trick-or-treating. This kid's kind of pushing my son around. I'm like, Ethan, you want to just go back home? I'll take you trick-or-treating. And he's like, no. And my son, in this strange way, has like some street sense. Like he knows when kids are not welcoming him, pushing him around. And he doesn't – it's interesting. He's not like a violent kid. But I just thought it was interesting that he handled himself – He's 12 and a half now. I think he was nine and a half, or uh, maybe just turned 10 at the time. So you know, he was like three years ago or so.
0: Man, and he so, had the movement ingrained. He he was too good at it. That's why he's moved part, on.
1: Yeah, man, it's too easy. As those kids say nowadays, too easy. So I'm excited for your questions, dude. Let's see if I could be concise with the answers. That's going to be you know my struggle. So cut me off as you need to.
0: Yeah. Let's, I, I found an interesting statistic that sparked this conversation, meaning that 70% of all young people, they're done playing competitive sports by the age of 12. And that. It, it is incredible. And that's really when things got real for me as an athlete. When you get into seventh grade, you just start playing football in Texas. That's the way right. it is. So my almost athletic career, a little league and nonsense sports, like things like that. But Actually, I guess, start weightlifting and taking things somewhat seriously began at that age of 12. And I'm curious of the driving force. We have three parties that I want to cover. We have the athlete, the individual, the kid. We have the coach, which you and I understand very well. But then there is this X factor that is the parent. Mm -hmm. How are... how much weight does that parent have in affecting this child's ability to continue to play competitive sports which has been so meaningful in our lives
1: yeah i think it's interesting so let's talk about parents as myself as a parent and from what i hear from parents and for a little context right for the people listening if they're new to power athlete radio I, the first athlete I trained was 95, 96 when I worked at a hospital fitness center, where in the summertime, parents would then bring their teenage son for like a little membership. And I didn't know really what I was doing. But the first kid I trained, I, I, I remember he was like one of 16, one of 16. I don't know how many boys or girls, real successful wrestler. And you didn't think much of it. And why I bring that up is because when I had a recent conversation with my wrestling coach who coached me back then in the early 90s, I graduated 93, as well as say, he said, Zach, in the 80s and 90s, the most successful athletes were oftentimes just kids who went through puberty earlier. They were like, they just had man strength. You know, most kids graduated high school at age 17, so they didn't do these repeat years that we now see. Kids graduating at age high school at age 19, right? Mm -hmm. At age 19, I was a junior in college. He goes, they didn't necessarily have more skill, more technique. They were just younger men that had gone through puberty faster. John talks about it often with how he didn't even shave as a freshman in college. And so sometimes you're going to have these kids who are just genetically advanced. They have a higher biological age. There are 14 year olds who look like they're 18. And vice versa. Mm -hmm. There are some 17 year olds who look like they're 14. Yeah. You know, working with a lot of wrestlers, a lot of them do a repeat year in eighth grade because the lightest weight class is 106, which becomes 108 like six weeks in. And they are 92 pounds. And so they're essentially about 20 pounds undersized. And so they have to do a repeat year in eighth grade, they got to homeschool. And so with parents, you have kind of what I feel are two schools. You have the dad or the mom who did not play a competitive sport. So they're kind of hands off. They don't really understand competition and being competitive. And, you know, I always say, quote, unquote, what it takes, the mental aspect, the nutrition. They don't understand that they've got to, you know, eat properly, eat enough. They think that skipping breakfast and buying school lunch is normal, you know, yeah. or processed food is normal. Then you have the dad or mom who was a former competitive athlete. Maybe a good one, maybe not a good one, but they were at least in the game, in the sport, they've been coached, and they understand that there needs to be an element of somebody being coached in skill, getting pushed, having somebody that guides them, mentors them, and push them out of their comfort zone. And so when I'm working with parents in either situation, I have to approach it slightly differently. Um, And for me, I'm always playing the long game with these kids. I don't care what you could be a 12-year-old champ because in my early years of coaching, I'd say 2002 is when I kind of full-time got into this field, is a lot of the wrestlers and football players I worked with, and we had football, wrestling, baseball, across These were these like four main sports were very successful in high school, but would not compete in college. And I remember these were all state, all conference, saying to myself, like, what am I doing wrong? Why are these kids, they're at this high level, and then they just don't want to do it anymore? Mm -hmm. If I look at the factors, I often see that they, they hated the sport because of dad. The dad oftentimes pushed them to do nonstop work and essentially not be a kid, not have any freedom to make their own decisions and choices. And so I learned from those lessons, what I am or was is not what my son will be. You know, we spoke about wrestling, uh, same thing with my daughter. We never played tennis. My wife never played tennis, but we got her into tennis as like a little kid at these little camps and she was in diapers. And she was very good. And even at a younger age, you know, when my wife was home with the kids, immediately she's taking them to Gymboree. Like, you know, now we have this thing that Luke is doing. What's the mm-hmm. program that, that
0: Kid strong.
1: That would have been something my wife would have signed up for in a millisecond mm-hmm. to get our kids basically active and, you know, physically, mentally educated on things. And, So you'll have a parent who might start getting their kid involved in athletic activities early. And that kid obviously builds athleticism at an earlier age. And then we have the genetic factor. Some kids are just genetically gifted. Others are not. So you'll have somebody who maybe comes from a home where the parents were not really competitive athletes. And now here's where the environment and the lifestyle can literally cancel genetics where we will start seeing kids you mentioned this age 12 where they quit if that kid was raised in a household where they eat a lot of crappy food you know meaning they're not eating like athletes in our house breakfast is like eggs egg omelets toast and butter eggs bacon every sunday is pancakes like steak is a normal thing for dinner chicken and these are like normal things whereas a quote unquote, you know, non-athletic household might kind of stall out a kid's physical progression. Meaning when I look at these kids, I can kind of, if I look at their physique, I could see SpaghettiOs or steak and eggs. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Heavy carb family, heavy kind of eating like a farm boy. And so at those younger years, age 12, if there's no guidance and mentorship, then those kids are going to go, they're going to struggle in sports because age 12 in the year 2021, we've got kids that have been trained for years at these sport camps, multi-sport athletes. I don't take kids until sixth grade, you know, preferably age 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. But even, you know, let's say these franchise gyms, they'll train seven-year-olds and start getting them to push prowlers, this, that. Do I agree with that? No. But those kids have been exposed to a physical hardship that now they view as normal. I play the long game. I'm not trying to train a seven-year-old like my high school kids. And so I play the long game and I could take a 12-year-old and transform them. And so we've got parents that might be kind of guiding properly, handing them off to good coaches. We've got other parents who don't know anything. Mm -hmm. And then we've also got this kind of like hybrid where the parent just puts the kid into the sport that they played, whether the kid is suited for that sport or not. For example, your son is extremely short and you play basketball and now you're having that kid play basketball. You know, my dad grew up in Romania. If you were short, you're not on their basketball team. You know, they looked at the kids and they put my dad in swimming and boxing. And then maybe somebody who was shorter would have gone into wrestling. Somebody mm-hmm. who was tall was best suited for basketball. And so, coaching at a high school, it's interesting. The kids on the basketball team, some of them are five foot four, five foot five. When I think to myself, why isn't that kid wrestling or playing soccer? So, that's interesting. And so, seeing where these parents put their kids into and how early they get them going is is interesting and in how it could influence them and a bad experience text could put everything on the kibosh. Meaning oh, yeah. if your coach is pushing this kid too much and maybe he or she is not emotionally ready for it, but the coach doesn't know, you know, our buddy Brett Bartholomew who you had on recently, I would say he's the master of being a chameleon for each person. Most of the, you know, Teams, unless Even at the travel level, you still have a dad who could still be playing the, the political favorites, who doesn't really understand coaching, who's only taking what he learned from his experiences. And so I've had to explain that stuff to my son. You know, when my son is hitting the ball to the fence and striking people out, but isn't on the all-star team, striking out the coach's son, I have mm-hmm. to say, and I'm going to be... Because we say what we want on power athlete radio, and I don't care who's listening, I say, Ethan, let me explain to you something. You have to, if you don't want to sit the bench, you have to hit it out of the park because daddy's not in the cocksucking club. <laughs> That's what I had to name. At age eleven, which is unfortunate to have to explain to my son that there's politics, <clears throat> no matter where you are, but even at this level. And so Ethan, if you don't like sitting out because you maybe strike out once and the coach's son strikes out five times and never sits, if you don't like it, then do push-ups. Then go outside on the batting tee and hit. Then go, if you got forced out at first, then run sprints. I'm leaving it up to you. So I give him the opportunity Mm -hmm. to do these things, but if I force him, they don't like it. But here's the flip side talk to a lot of the great wrestlers and many of them, 80% of them will talk about how their dads pushed them and took them to do tournaments far away and challenge them. It's very rare that a kid understands how to challenge himself and seek out competitive, you know, situations. And so I know I unpacked a lot, so I'm going to let you hit the next question and you guide me better.
0: Yeah. Building off that, I've, a lot of different experience coaching and training high school and middle school now. So, sport coach for middle school. Uh, the high school I was at a number of years ago, sports were mandatory. So, there are three sports season. You had fall, winter, and then spring. The kids got to pick whatever sport yes. they wanted, but as they went through the school system, they were guided more towards what they are skilled at. Football. But then, even though you were the star quarterback, you still had to play lacrosse. You still had to swim during the winter. So the coaches never, like, moved away from the three multi-sport concept because they believed in it so much. But then they also, yeah,
1: year-round sport back then. I mean, I'm older than you, so I'm 45. When I was in high school, our baseball team was fourth in the country. Those guys all played football and basketball. Maybe a few of them uh, wrestled in the winter, very few. Um, none of them were cross country runners. Football, basketball was big, and then they went and did baseball. Some of the baseball players wrestled. 90% of them were three sport athletes. Coach Wojcik lifted with them year round in the weight room. Not the correct stuff or correct technique, but they worked hard on the mm-hmm. basics. They trained together. They battled together. They would eat at McDonald's after every football game. You'd see all 75 guys in the parking lot. They were a brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Then if we back that up, the little league, it was called Edison Boys Baseball, was huge. I mean, there was like eight or ten fields. Um, they were super competitive. They had great coaching, even though the coaches were dads. Um It was an athletic blue collar town. And so you guys have spoken about the things that shape an athlete, which is genetics, geography, and opportunity. Genetics, I can't do anything about. But if I eat properly and get trained properly, I can advance my genetic potential. Mm -hmm. If I have great genetics, but I don't eat properly, don't train properly, I could halt it. Mm -hmm. I can halt it. And then opportunity is, who are you around? John was around Zangus. I talk about how if I didn't cry in the summer of 1989 in Israel at, at, at uh, Andre's gym, what would have happened if he trained me in Olympic weightlifting for three weeks, three times a day? That would have completely changed the forecast of my sport experience. I would have learned speed, aggression. I would have learned a training that would have transformed me mentally. And so now, you know, these kids of today, even though they have kind of year-round training, um, they're losing out maybe on opportunity to build athleticism, which you guys speak Mm -hmm. about and I speak about so often because skill, I think, is number one. You've got to be a high-skilled athlete. You know, the kids in our town, this is a big lacrosse school, and they always tell me it's mechanics. They're like, you could be bigger and stronger and faster, but if a guy does it better than you, he could score on you. He's doing the same stuff, but he does it better. He's going to be able to score. And so, okay, what are your teammates like? I'm a big believer in that genetics, geography opportunity. Those three things play such a huge role and kind of your environment. And so if these kids have all these things lined up, they can accelerate at the right, and have the right experiences. Um, Some kids may not have a great experience through high school techs, and you know what I tell them? You're still a kid, you're 18, continue Mm -hmm. in college. You're gonna be a completely different human at 19, 20, 21. You know, whatever the sport is, I would love to see us get back to more of these two and three sport athletes, but dude, I don't think we're ever going back to that unless you're in a really small town. So you're in Texas. From what I hear, the freshmen often have their own campus. Schools are so big here in Uh, New Jersey. We might have regional school districts. mm -hmm. Um, the school, the town I'm in and the neighboring towns are small, so they need, Football players to wrestle. They need football players on the basketball team or they can't fill the lineup. And I think that's where some of the best kids come from and also have the best long term health because I wrestled year round. And I believe that's a big reason why my knee is so bad is because I didn't, I wish I played football or even golf in the spring, like something different than pounding my knee on the mat a gazillion times a year
0: mm-hmm yeah and it's i mean texas the this work culture is real and that's mm-hmm. why i'm uh i'm at the middle school level because the parents haven't yet found a way to intervene in the why i love yeah. lacrosse what one i love lacrosse why i love lacrosse in texas many of the parents they don't get it so there is not this person that is this third voice or the second coaching voice excuse me from the opposite sideline, watching the games, because um, they don't
1: know. You're saying like te- lacrosse has not hit Texas, like so you don't have the, the dad coaching from the sideline.
0: Oh yeah, I mean that's that opposing voice is <clears throat> I feel very detrimental. So let's uh, let's stick with the the parents. What are some? I, I mean, being that coaching voice is very inappropriate yeah. way for a, a parent to help an athlete and take away from a coach. What are some inappropriate things that you've seen parents do that are potentially toxic to their relationship with competition and sport?
1: Okay. And I'll preface this with, I'm a, you know, I've said, I'm a dad. I'm not perfect. Um, but I'll go back to, uh, when I opened my first warehouse of the underground strength gym, it was 2007. I had to quickly, Uh, incorporate the rule of no parents allowed inside because they would coach the lifts from the sideline. And the first experience I had with that, maybe not the first one, but the first memorable one was, you know, we have a, you know, a 1600 square foot garage. The dads would kind of hang outside, outside of the garage leaning on the tires. And I remember this one kid, Kyle was trap bar deadlifting and Let's say he, he pulled um, 225, and it was like a tough triple. Maybe it was a tough set of five. I see him walk over to his bag to get a drink. His dad says, hey, was that hard? What do you think Kyle says to his dad? No. So what does his dad say? Go heavier. So he's going on his fifth set of deadlifts. And as you know, the coach's eye, you know, I look at your videos on YouTube texts of how you're able to, like, break things down. That's the coach's eye. You're able to see from half a mile away from the other side of the weight room and say, hey, move your right foot over one inch. Or instead of sitting down, just try sitting back a hair. You know, you're know, you able to give a little cue. Well, I knew that if he was to add a feather, it was going to break down his technique. So he goes, what do you think I should do? I go, I would just stay at that weight and get a clean triple right? Meaning you've induced fatigue on that fourth set that was heavy. You're a uh, beginner novice lifter. So you're unable, you don't have strength endurance. Um, He's like, man, I'm going to go heavier. I killed that. All right, go heavier. He just adds a 10 to each side. So 20 pounds more and he pulls the trap bar, like as John says, like a dog shitting razor blades. And then I say to him, I go, this is why you got to listen to me because that set could have destroyed your back. And luckily you're a kid, you know, you do these things. It doesn't like impact you, maybe not, but you only have so many opportunities to pull a weight like that before your back gets crushed. So then I walked over to the dad and I said, I said, you got to let me do the coaching because you, what you told him to do could have destroyed his back. Mm -hmm. And so I had a, a physical newsletter and I would send out that, you know, now on my website, it says no parents are allowed inside for liability reasons. Now, some parents, we have that dad that was not great, but some people are just like jerk offs and they've always got something to say and kids are not ready for intensity out of the gate. They're not ready for, um, you know, it's like it's baseball. You're going to strike out. Mm-hmm. You're you're not going to hit the ball sometimes, you know, or you're going to pitch bad, or you're wrestling. Guess what's going to happen when we wrestle, guys? Eventually, you're going to lose unless you're an undefeated state champ. Which, by the way, a kid from Texas just won the nationals as a true freshman, AJ Ferrari. That's a great last name.
0: That is a very fast name.
1: Now, if we saw him lift, as a sidebar, I'm sure they'll attack me for this. We would say no. He's extremely explosive. I've seen him pull a lot of weight with a round back. Um, I've, he did like a, a a box squat, you know, like, I don't know. He squatted like five inches down, but with 600 pounds in season. So he's walking out the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, he's squatting high. Um, he's a true freshman who's starting. And we could end his career right there. But... Mm-hmm emotion. Now let's tackle the emotional side. He's so tough and intense, and he believes so much in that training that he's able to withstand it. At least for now, he's had no negative side effects, but again, he's 19, right? Maybe 18. He's had no negative side effects, but he believes in the training, no matter how scientifically ineffective or dangerous it is because he believes in it. It has a transfer of training. It gives him confidence. He just won a national title as a true freshman. That happens once every, barely ever. What schools? Okay? He's at Oklahoma. Oh, wow. Yep. <clears throat> so, um, and I think he's from, I can't remember if he's in the Austin or Houston area, but if you look him up, you'll see the videos of him. Now, um, <clears throat> that's, that's a rare, you know, that's the needle in a hay. That's a rare kid. Others are going to have to be, slowly brought into the world of intensity and, and winning and losing. But my wrestling coach, I worked with him two years ago at the elementary school and something he said to me was very different than what he said to me when I wrestled. He goes, what I tell them now is have fun and score points versus you got to win. This is the, this is the big match, all the pressure And I think to how we were coached in the 90s, 80s, the dads of today are from my era. They were told, shut up, do this. You effing little this, you know, calling you all these names. And then that's it. Mm -hmm. Get tough. Thank you. I'll get tough. Like, what does that mean to a kid? And so if you don't have this kind of, I don't want to call it a new, new age, but you have to understand communication. And so- you know, for the dads that are always pushing, you will break a kid. Not every kid is a young Spartan. They need to get these kind of little doses of challenges, but they need to experience success because if they're not experiencing success, nothing will deter a kid, you know, from continuing if there's no success and no fun. So you're a new football coach, a new wrestling coach, new lacrosse coach. Dude, we're going to play the toughest teams in Texas. Why? We're going to go 0-20. How fun is that going to be? Kids won't be able to handle that. You need to have a lot of wins, a couple of challenges, maybe one time get your butt whooped so you realize, whoa, that is another level, and then give them an opportunity to do things to get better. Uh, Do you sometimes have to push your kids to do stuff? Yes, because today kids have so much opportunity. Sometimes they don't realize kind of what's in front of them. They, you know, they they uh, are they, they shy away from discomfort. But the dad that always pushes, and sometimes it's a mom, um, they can sometimes break a kid to the point where that kid just wants nothing to do with that sport. And so even with strength and conditioning techs, I always focus on finishing the whole day, finish on a positive. Always like a lot of compliments, good job on this. It's very different than how I coached, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, which was really rough, hard coaching. And if you did not survive, you were out. And now I've learned it takes time for a kid to turn the corner, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes – I will I'll say to you know the coaches, I'll go look to our staff. You know, Tex is not here because he's a beast. His parents brought him here because they expect us to turn him into a beast, which is not going to take a couple of weeks or months. It's going to take years. And so it's this brick by brick, inch by inch philosophy. And that's what you got to look at as a dad and as a coach is you've got to play the long game. And intensity and kind of being very brash with your kid out of the gate is not going to, there's going to be one out of a hundred that could handle intensity and being pushed to the level of where they break and then they keep coming back. It's, it's very rare, but sometimes that, if it happens at an early age, sometimes the kids don't know any better. So I trained some kids in my first gym from a, a, a neighboring town called South Plainfield known for the great wrestling. Every kid I've trained from South Plainfield, even the not so skilled kids have been very tough because they learned it at a young age. That was, that was the only way they're working hard. They're going hard. Their work ethic was always very high. And I always kind of um, broke that down and said, wow, interesting. That's geography. They may not be genetically right, the best. Um, so what do we say? Genetics, geography, and opportunity. Their mm-hmm. geography of being in South Plainfield gave them access to great wrestling coaches and the opportunity to have great training partners. And so there's these different you know, factors that play into it. Um, and look, some of the best kids I've trained have dads that push them like crazy, and some are completely hands-off. And so it's very hard to say what works best. The answer is what works best is it depends. That is my answer for many sport performance, you know, variables and questions. Why does it depend? Because kids have unique personalities. I can be very tough with this kid. Then I walk over and this kid likes to joke and get a high five. This kid is not coachable at all. And so he wouldn't, I wouldn't have him in my gym, but let's say he's in the high school I'm at, then maybe I have to not be so tough on him that he's never squatting deep, but I'll get something else out of him in another exercise because I've learned it's just an exercise in futility to hammer him to squat lower. It's just Mm -hmm. not going to happen. So maybe I ask him to, you know, Hey, close out, close out our group lift or after this, I want you to organize the hill sprints or whatever you want. I'm not telling you how much to do, but you're the leader. You go out and you do it. So I kind of pass that off. So I think as a dad, I've become a better coach because I've learned that as a sport coach, I'm not just training kids today for the sport. I often view my role now, Tex, as like my job is to protect them, to keep them, to minimize harm from – you know, competition. Mm -hmm. I do explain to them that your competition is training to beat you and possibly hurt you. You know, there's football players going to these strength clubs and this and that and doing skill work or lacrosse. And there's, I tell them, you know, Hey, lacrosse guys in my town, the kids are hopping the fence and training on their own on, on the turf, digging the snow off the turf to do their stuff. That's your comp. So I tell them, then I say, but I can't want it more than you. And so I've learned, with my kids, that that's actually a pretty good approach. Um, You know, I tell my daughter, if you want to be great at tennis, maybe that some of the time you spend on the phone should be watching the game and researching (laughs) how people play and what is the strategy. And you mentioned, what was the book? The Inner Game of Tennis? Mm -hmm. She has the book. I can't, I think we bought it when we were down in Florida and I said, Summer, have you read this book yet? Of course she hasn't. She probably, we probably bought it for her when she was eight. So I said, you and daddy should read two pages a night. Yeah. So she starts learning the mental game. Now I'm going to throw one more thing in there. When I wrestled in high school, I was tough, but I was not mean. And to be successful in wrestling, you do need to learn to flip the switch and be mean. I didn't get that meanness until I was like 19, 20. I didn't have confidence in myself which goes to show you that if I broke it down, my training was incorrect with both wrestling and lifting stuff. And if you get the right coach, whether it's sport performance, sports skill, those traits can be learned and acquired earlier. And some kids are going to have it. Some will not, not every mean, not every mean kid is great at wrestling, by the way, you know, not every wrestler becomes a great employee. But there's all these factors that are beneath the surface. But it's, I'll say it's been, you know, to the crazy parent, it's been rare that that kid succeeds. Does it happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I also like to break down, you know, I I followed this wrestling club in uh, Georgia, you know, the old estate inside Russia. And they have like per population, their percent of Olympic medalists in wrestling are like a hundred times elsewhere. And I'm watching them train six-year-olds. Their sprint, you know, their backyard is a mountain. They're, Mm -hmm. they're jumping cement stairs. Whereas me as a coach, I'd be like, Oh my God, safety. I can't, I shouldn't do that. You know, they're sprinting with a tire strapped around them. Um, they're lifting stones, things that I did in the early years, but not perfect stuff. And then today in America, it's got to be so perfect. I need to get my seven-year-old son to that pitching coach who played for the Yankees, and we're going to drive five hours away. And so they're not really grasping things at age seven. And so there's all these moving parts texts where everything's a piece of the puzzle. The crazy parent or the supportive parent or the kind of somewhere in the middle parent then there's the nutrition. Then there's the sports skill you learn. Then there's the genetics. It's all these things it makes it tricky. It's a tricky formula that there's no perfect recipe for.
0: Man, a lot. The well, what are some questions that a a parent can ask a coach, almost like a checklist, to make sure that they're the right person and. Flip side, what questions do you as a coach ask these parents to try to assess quickly who that parent is so you can determine how best to coach a kid?
1: So are we talking in sports or strength and conditioning? In general. Okay. So let's talk about sports. We'll talk about baseball. And like I said, I'm being transparent with my experiences. I've never played baseball, but I, I know that We see a lot of kids getting Tommy John surgery. We know there's such a thing as overuse injuries. And we know that every, the human body can acquire mileage on it. And, you know, the wheels will fall off. Some people could genetically handle it, as we said. But one day my son uh, pitched in like a championship, like game at the end of the season, four and a half innings. His team, he was a pitcher and maybe two other kids. It was a lot of pitching. And I was right. Like, do I say to the coach, dude, pull him out. This is too much. This is three years ago. What do I say to another dad who's a baseball coach? He's like, Zach, got to cut it too much. That was a lot. There was then another game where he caught for six innings, the whole game. Nobody else came in. That's let's say 150 bodyweight squats at age eight. How many throws? I yeah. don't know. And so I called the coach and I said, Listen, I never, dude, I'm a hands off guy. I don't like to do that. But I said, It doesn't take a genius. That's not good. He came home, he had a headache, he was exhausted. I was like, He's squatting up and down, he's throwing nonstop, no good. So after that, I had two things on my mind for baseball. I don't want to be on a team where there's a dad and his own son is on the team because I don't want favorites. I want to be on a team where there's a lot of pitchers, a lot. So from now on, when Ethan's on a baseball team, everybody's a pitcher and the kids pitch one inning. So they throw 15 or 20 times. What are we thinking? Play the long game, preserve Mm -hmm. the body. So I look for that. Um, and I, like I said, I look for a team where there's not going to be politics involved, where the dad and his buddies are coaching and all their kids are on, and now they start to spite your son who might be doing well in that sport. And that's, you know, um, a little bit scary. So, yeah, But it's real, yeah. It's real, and it sucks, man. It's like equally as shitty as the politics in strength and conditioning, right? It just bothers me. Because I feel like once, if you're doing something that hurts a kid, like you're on my shit list. Like I want to go equalizer on you. I want to put the uh, shot glass in your eyeball. (laughs) So the other thing I'll talk about with strength and conditioning, I'm 45. I've been lifting weights and training. Not that doing something longer makes me better, but my experience and coach's eye is much greater than let's say a division one athlete who gets out of college and now opens up his facility. I remember in my early years of running a facility, we were training a kid who did not move well. He went to a private school for football. And I remember the dad saying, we're going to stop going to the underground. They just hired a strength coach who played division one football at Rutgers. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like 35, 38, something like that. I'm like, all right, the guy's 23. I've been training for 25 years, training longer than that dude's been alive. But the guy, the dad was like, he's a D1 athlete. Now I've coached at the division one level at Rutgers and Lehigh with, these are like top flight schools for wrestling. And those guys don't know how to lift. They don't know the details. And a D1 athlete, which I love those guys, and they know a D. And you are a D3 athlete. I would have been a D3 athlete if I wrestled at my college. Um, We are not Division I material where we everything like turn the hardest thing to do is turning on the lights at the D3 level. And even I just did an interview with Coach Bill Gillespie. He said, You've got to develop those guys, Mm -hmm. Um, they don't know how to move and how to train and this and that. You have to develop them. And so for parents looking for sport performance places for their kids, what is the experience of the strength coaches on staff? That's number one. You know, what have they done? You know, are they, is this a monster franchise facility where your kid is getting milled in and it's like, Everybody's kind of got these, these groups going, or do you have a guy who's like me, who's got the experience of working with, I can't tell you how many thousands of kids, thousands, you know, every day I'm working with a hundred plus athletes. So what is the experience level and, and really look at what is the, um, the resume, the results that that coach <clears throat> has produced? And so I've always said for us, you know how people find out about us is especially in wrestling with this one-to-one is their son keeps losing to kids who wear underground strength gym shirts. And so they'll say something like, I got sick of seeing kids with those shirts on the podium. A dad has been texting me. His son's a freshman. His son has avenged every loss where he was getting destroyed in eighth grade. He's like, I won't text you anymore. I'm just can't believe this. I go, I love these messages. <clears throat> and I tell him as a dad, it's important for you to celebrate that because you've invested your money and time. You're driving him around. You're, you're investing money in me, trusting me mm-hmm. to take care of your kid. So what I tell parents when I'm talking with them, is, I go, listen, we do a trial to make sure your kid is emotionally ready for the training. If they're not emotionally ready for this, we will revisit in a year if you want to. There's never pressure from us. So after the trial, I don't call you. I don't chase you. You could reach out to us. You could talk with your son. You could come in for the trial. And I also don't BS them. I say, look, our assessment is I watch them move. But our assessment is never ending because as your son or daughter grow – As they grow, the program is evolving, and every day is different.
0: And they're they're a different person,
1: literally. Every day, emotionally, physically, the things they go through. And I think it's actually really hard to find a great coach nowadays because coaching other humans has gotten more complex than ever before. You have the overuse injuries. You're you're tailoring a program for a year-round kid. You've got a lot of balls that you're juggling, essentially. And so parents should find somebody who would train their own kids as if they were training their own kid, meaning the way – so my staff, only out of all the staff between the two locations, one coach is a mom. The others are not parents. So I say to them, here's how I want you to coach this kid. Step outside of your body and pretend you're looking – at the workout, at the training session. Pretend you're watching a coach coach your son or daughter. You don't have kids. Pretend that's your kid. What do you want them doing? What kind of training do you want them doing? What do you want them talking about? Just sets and reps? You want to talk to them about school? How's life? How's sports? You want to talk to them about the tough things they got to overcome? Or are you just saying, do this, do that? What do you want your own kid to experience for the time that you become a parent, And that changed me as a coach. You know, I learned that my early years, I spoke about winning all the time. Win this, beat that, win the title, get the scholarship. And not everybody could handle that. Mm -hmm. Not every kid is going to be wanting to do that. So you have to learn to make, give them the best experience, whether they want to be a college athlete or not because a kid doesn't want to play in college doesn't make him or her a bad kid. And also if a kid doesn't grasp an exercise, it doesn't make them a bad listener. It might mean you don't know how to coach them and give them a different, uh, you know, direction,
0: perspective, angle, anything,
1: anything. So keep me on track here because I'm kind of going all over the place.
0: Well, the, to, to build off that, the, I had to grow as a, a leader, communicator, and a coach working with the, the middle school because they're not as coordinated, athletic, experienced, skilled, any of that. And the perspective that I took was the, with this group, seventh and eighth grade is more of, of training. So like a dog trainer versus <clears throat> a, a coach because they, they need the discipline that begins in our warm-up and a practice set schedule. We're going to do 10 minutes of this drill. And then they have it responsibility on their shoulders to get the drill right. And set amount of time before we move on and selecting leaders using an old school military count. Imagine those push-ups where we're set up pushup position and then it's down. So one, two, three, one. And I pick a kid to, to lead every single yeah. changes per movement, but stick with that four count. That allows a kid that's very difficult to screw up, but they're finding their voice, and it's more of a, a training practice, but then keep it light and, and fun on the side, essentially putting them in a position to be coached once they yes. are ready.
1: dude, you're building great humans by doing that. You know how many kids I tell you, there was a kid that I he was my neighbor, not a great athlete. But he threw the shot and played uh, basketball. This town is, I think this year, they were named like the team of the year in New Jersey. Um, but he could not look me in the eye. He would mumble through, like he would mumble when he spoke. If you asked him to squat, he'd like back away from you. It was an awkward experience. He became such a great kid by being in the gym, by learning to you know, joke with other kids doing the things you did, giving him the opportunity. Hey, take us through the warm up. You do it. Boom. Like he became the senior class president. Whoa, dude. That's, he couldn't
0: takes a lot of panache.
1: He would like, uh, help me during our fundraiser every year and he would keep the score. Cause he was like a math whiz and he would average everything up. But you know, I wouldn't have done that if I wasn't a dad, I'd be too focused on him dunking the basketball and scoring more. And so what you're doing is you're giving these kids opportunities to be leaders and learn how to speak and, you know, pick their heads up. And that is part of becoming a champion, you know, great athletes. Look, I've been around great athletes who didn't survive the team. They dropped off the team. They removed themselves from the team because they could not do those leadership skills, communication skills, discipline. They were just highly talented in a pool of others that weren't as talented. And then when they got into a pool where everybody's talented, the wheels fell off. And so as a coach, as a parent, you want to ask, like, what else happens here besides, you know, strength and conditioning? I always say tech is an umbrella term. Under that, you know, we've got speed, we've got power, we've got athlete. I always say we're. I'm training them for overall athleticism, but we're training them for life. Mm-hmm. You know, like does will your son or daughter acquire better life skills by training there? And so, don't judge the coach by what they look like, because when I was 25, I looked a lot different than I do now. You know, I was 210 or whatever and ripped and this and that, um, but I was nowhere near of a coach then as I am now and so ask before you even go to a place ask other parents how long you've been taking your son or daughter there what changes have you seen and really the best changes are when they watch the kids play so we train lacrosse players and then when other parents see you know little johnny wellborn zipping up and down you know the field scoring and making attack and this and that whoa dude what the heck happened to him He was the slowest kid last year well the the downside to that is sometimes parents don't want to tell other parents what they're doing they're like this place is my secret which kind of stops our goal of really changing the lives but parents if you see a kid a year later and there's a physical and emotional transformation this is the big thing not just the physical what's does the kid walk like now That to me has always been the great things I like to hear about. Like he couldn't speak to anybody. Now he looks them in the eyes. Those things will go further, will take them further um, than scoring more touchdowns. You know, I want to have a better human. Not that I'm this great uh, God person, but I just think that strength and conditioning is just a surface. It's like a vehicle for life and parents need to research what are the life changes kids have experienced going to that place?
0: I have a a tough question for you. Okay. As a coach, now our coaching hat is on. Let's do it. How do you approach now a parent if their value is less on their child developing as a person and more on winning period?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't think I've, I don't want to say I've never been in that place. Um, have I had kids that down the road were not kind of suited for this? Let's say we had a kid that was a great, he was a great kid when he was with us, but when he got to college, he just did some not great things. And it was like, you didn't want to be associated with that. Sometimes kids are not bad because of their parents. For example, my kids lately have been jerk offs (laughs) (laughs) and I say to my wife, I'm like, man, People must think if they act like this, they must think we're horrible. It's like these kids, sometimes they become their own person. Like I saw years ago on Twitter, somebody asked Jocko, will your son become a Navy SEAL too? And he said, he'll become whatever he wants to become. And so we certainly have impact. Um, And I don't think any dad deep down or any mom deep down wants their kid to be the best football player and be okay with them being a jerk. Um, but certainly you're going to have those parents that are pushing. They want that kid to get the D1 scholarship, the this, that. When somebody is delusional about what their son or daughter could achieve, I think as a coach, you need to remind them of all the things that are required to get to that Division one level and that it's not that easy. And sometimes the best thing you could do is bring an outside voice in. And so if you are a coach, you have your own facility – um, bring in a, uh, doing a podcast interview or bring in a guest speaker, uh, who's a college coach and talk to them about the recruiting and what happens with, uh, scholarships. What happens when money is tied up? What, you know, what does it actually take? What are they really looking for? And so I will often share stories. I have a newsletter that goes out to our parents. And in the early years, text I did a physical print newsletter and I wouldn't directly, let's say John was bringing his son to me and John was being crazy on the sidelines, coaching, da-da-da. Instead of saying, you know, emailing John and saying, listen, you know, you're being annoying, you're, you're out of control, da, da da In the newsletter, I would say something like, we are now offering daddy and me classes. So for the dads that want to shout from the sidelines, you can now sign up for a class. You could hold your son's hand. You could shout at him during the workout. And other people could watch, you know, like I embarrass them <laughs> by, by not calling them out, you know? So the other option might be, I take the onus off of me and I bring in another expert because sometimes when you say stuff as a coach, the kid has heard it too much or the dad or mom has heard it too much. Now they just need another voice to go in, um, And I'm trying to think if I ever had a kid, uh, I I have had kids that were going down the wrong path and parents brought them to us for the life stuff. Um, I've had moms say that, you know, your membership is cheaper than a one hour therapy session and it's better, you know, they're getting more out of it. And um, they realize that we're a piece of the puzzle, not an end all be all answer. And I also, I never promise these results, I tell them it's up to you. It's up to you to do the sports skill. It's up to you to do the academic work. It's up to you to eat properly. Here's the nutrition guidelines. They get the book that we wrote from good to greatness with where, where we tackled not just nutrition, but we tackled the theme of here's what it takes. You know, that's why we wrote that. So parents, look, if you're not willing to read this, forget it. And so you, you've, it's, um, and look, some people are just lucky. Some people are gifted. You know, I, I have hold on. I'm on a podcast. <laughs> I have a freshman football and lacrosse player. He looks like a college kid. He's ripped. He's like 185. But you know, for his breakfast, he does still will not eat eggs and toast. He has a big bowl of uh, uh, cereal every night. He has you know ice cream. He goes and but. He's genetically gifted where he could do that and be ripped. I mean, like his lower back is striated. (laughs) So that's, you know, when you're at the division one level, those kids get big looking at the weights, right? They have that. Um, The most talented kids, by the way, have not been the best athletes I've worked with. You know, uh, whether it's D3 or even at the division one level, Mm -hmm. at the division one level, that old cliche of hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. It has happened 900 million times out of 900 million times. Like if you're talented and you start slacking and partying a bit too much and just not following through on the pieces of the puzzle that add up or subtract, if you do it wrong, it comes back to haunt you. And so I always focus on sharing effort and consistency. Can't help you if you're not showing up, you know, plain and simple. And so I find ways to communicate to parents in different kind of uh, formats to get this lesson to sink in. And uh, you know, I say it to my kids, you know, if you might be one of the better kids on your team now, but let me tell you when it's time to look at colleges, it's not, it's there will be competitors from all around the country looking to take your spot. And if Mm -hmm. you're not following through, There's nine other guys or girls behind you to get your spot.
0: Every single year.
1: Every single day. There's now they transfer right if the kid. Oh, that's right. The portal, yeah. They transfer in the spring semester in Mm -hmm. wrestling. That that's the middle of the season, dude. er At Lehigh and Rutgers, kids came and went while I was there. Every other week, every two weeks, there would be like the kids no longer on the team. Highly talented kids.
0: Madness. All right. Last question for you. Yep. What do you say to your kids after a competition? Is it more on the wins or the losses? Or what do you highlight that you can give guidance to parents now?
1: Mm -hmm. So, a couple of years ago, I heard Dwayne Carlisle get advice from his wife. Dwayne is an OG in our field. I got to get him on the podcast. I hope you guys do too. He's been private. He's been division one, he's been NFL, he's private again. His wife told him, the rule is for an hour after the game, his kids were football and track, I think. I don't know if they were basketball either, football and track, you cannot talk about the game for an hour or you can't talk about it in the car or at the dinner table. And so yesterday my son played baseball and I said, how do you think you did? It's up to you. He said, I pitched well. He's like, when I hit, I didn't hit, well, I didn't, I didn't hit good. I go, well, maybe you warm up, you know, you go out on the tee. We have a tee. We got a net. You do that before the game. And then he kind of snapped back. I go, Ethan, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you that that might help you. And that's an opportunity for you. And I'm not going to chase you to warm up before a game or prepare. So that would be for him. Um, My daughter With tennis, it's a lot more emotional because it's a one-on-one thing. It's like Mm -hmm. wrestling. In baseball, if I lose, it's very rare that it comes down to this kid, right? Oh, he dropped the ball. He struck out. Usually, it's a culmination of everybody doing something wrong. So with my daughter, how do you think – I always say, how do you think you did? You know, whether you want – all right, what mistakes did you make and what do you think you got to work on? Work on, work on what you think you have to work on. And so sometimes, like emotionally, I'll, I will say, Summer, if you're down in the match, you have to learn how to rebound in the moment. Do you know what that means? And then I have to explain to her. That point is over. Now you have to think about what happened, re-strategize, boom. And so maybe I'll give her a little bit of advice, but I often tell them, I've never played tennis. I don't play like my son plays baseball. I say, Ethan, when you throw a bad pitch, do you know what to do? <coughs> He's like, "Yep, I adjust this and that." I go, "Good," because I don't know what the hell you're doing out there, so I can't I can't help you. In wrestling, of course, I would have been able to do that, and I think wrestling would have been very hard. You know, it's so competitive. Um, it would have been hard. So maybe I'm a little bit lucky in that my kids are in sports that I never participated in. And now I'm going to give this one piece of wisdom that was shared with me with my buddy Gabe Dean. So my buddy Gabe Dean um, was a three-time national finalist for Cornell. His senior year, he takes second. When I was at Lehigh, he was beating like our best guy as a sophomore, And then I worked with Dean with Spartan. And so Dean's dad was a uh, Olympian. He may have been the alternate for like the 84 wrestling Olympics. And he would tell me the tricks his dad would play on him and his brother. And uh, I think Gabe's mom was also a high level. Oh, I'm probably going to mess it up. Maybe a trap, maybe a sprinter or something. So his family is like royalty genetic pool, Mm -hmm. you know? So his dad would play like tricks on him as a kid. And like Gabe was actually not a good wrestler in the beginning. Gabe, uh, his younger brother, the dad would be like, all right, um, Max, let's get ready for wrestling. And when we're done, let's go and like go to the go-karts and get ice cream. <laughs> and then uh, he's like, Gabe, you just stay here and do dishes with your mom since you don't want to come. You know? So he would like <laughs> do these like little nudge tricks <clears throat> Because Gabe was realizing like, man, if I wrestle, there's ice cream at the end of a practice, win or lose, I'm getting ice cream da da da, and so I um text Gabe after a game where my son struck out during a game. I think he didn't he didn't have a good game, he didn't hit good, and I said, "Dude, <clears throat> my son struck out multiple times today. Do we get ice cream today like just like joke?" He's like, absolutely. Those are the most important days to get ice cream when they lose. So they realize, like, <clears throat> it's over. We can't right. do anything about the game anymore. We could learn. So on the way home, I said, E-guy, we'll stop in this town. We'll get some ice cream. Okay, we'll get some ice cream. You finish on a positive. Would I have done that if I didn't meet Gabe? I don't know. It probably would have been like, it played like shit. We're going home. <laughs> you know go out and hit again but think about what you've done <laughs> yeah i think kids need to be kids now i'll say where my hat flips when he comes to my gym and he doesn't come very regularly you know my son especially when the weather's warm we live in the town that the gym is in sometimes he'll come and train but sometimes he don't listen to me and one time i kicked him out of the gym and i felt bad but he was not listening he's in front of a group of kids they see that my own son is not coachable, which is unacceptable. He's arguing, he's talking back. So I say, "Get the f out! Get out! You don't want to work, you don't want to listen. Get the f out of here." I think I text him not five minutes later, and I was like, um, "If you're hungry, come by, and you know I'll get you twenty dollars so you could go and go to the burrito place." And whenever I see the burritos, I, I, I think about I think about our boy Luke, how much he loves all those God burritos. Serving so, one, yeah, yep. So I uh, he comes in, I hug him, and uh, I'm getting better at that. I'm, get, I'm, a, I'm a grudge holder, Tex. I hold grudges even within my own family. Last night, I'm arguing with my daughter. We're going back and forth. She comes down later. She's like trying to get some of the desserts. I go, here, what do you want? Let me fix you the plate. And I hug her, say I love you. You know, a couple of years ago, I I would take me days to cool off. You know, I hold the grudge. It's like a very hard thing. And I think as parents, we got to give them opportunity to do these things. And then from there, it's up to them. Listen, Mm -hmm. you're struggling with the mental side of things. I'm going to get you this book. Boom. You're struggling with the mental side of things. I'm going to share with you this YouTube video. I, I think ultimately it's up to the kid. To do the work. I know you got to go. That being said, the most successful kids I train have the most supportive parents. And, period. End of story.
0: Yeah. One of my, I'm a big John Wooden fan. And one of my favorite quotes of his simply, young people need models, not critics.
1: Supposedly, he never yelled at his athletes.
0: Oh, I believe he told it.
1: them that winning and he said to them, I heard Tony Robbins say that he so, said to the kids, winning and losing is an internal game. If we get more points on the board, but you did not play your best, we did not win. And so mm-hmm. I have to clarify that with kids at my high school who I've been very tough on. As I talk to them, as I say, I talk a lot about succeeding and beating that team. But I go, what I'm trying to tell you guys is that when you skip workouts, it catches up to you in life. I go, or you come in and tell me that you don't have the energy or this and that hurts. What if I coached you that way? What if I came in and said to the principal, I'm tired today. Can I go 50%? I'm tired today. Can I just work half my body? They'd say, no, you can leave and we'll get somebody else. And so what I try to explain to them is training is like life and effort is your very thing that you can control. And if you're struggling with effort, Focus on helping somebody else because now you have to demonstrate if you're going to help them, you got to be Mm -hmm. a great teammate. So what you're doing with those middle school kids is a powerful coaching. I don't know if it's a tactic technique. It's, you know, the art of coaching and that goes beyond sets and reps because Mm -hmm. sets and reps is the surface five by five doesn't make me take first place while if you did 10 by two. You cannot win by – or you use barbells, you're going to win. You squat with a bar, I squat with a dumbbell, there's no way I'll beat you. Listen, that's just not the case, you know? And so I think it's the deeper things beneath the surface that help an athlete succeed or not. And ultimately, they have to want to be great at that thing. If they don't want to be great at that sport, no amount of screaming, no – You could have the best coach in the world, the best Russian scientific coach for that kid. It doesn't matter if -hmm. they don't want it. That's it.
0: Yeah. The one thing I really appreciate about the age group that I'm working with is you start to see where being fun, like messing around with your crew and your boys, that's fun. And then there's this transition to where being good at your skill, that starts to be fun. And it's oh, yeah. this transition from 7th and 8th grade. Sometimes the 8th grade, they don't get it. And sometimes 7th, it clicks earlier. But it is this transition. And then give them plenty of opportunity to do so. And then, they I mean, the, the playing time is a reward, more or less. But, uh, yeah, aim to be and teach victory and uh, champion mentality, as you mentioned earlier, versus simple wins and losses.
1: Yeah, bro. It's a. It's a, actually a pretty complex. Coaching is more complicated than people know. They figure it out as they spend endless, you know, years in it, decades.
0: Uh huh. And I encourage all parents to coach little league, so then you can appreciate the coaches, the professional coaches out there who are aiming to make more of your young men and women. <laughs>
1: yeah. Good stuff, bro.
0: Cool. Any, any last piece, Zach?
1: Oh man. I think, uh, I don't know. I hope I didn't go down too many rabbit holes. That's the way uh, I hope people really, I hope the parents, we, I know you have parents listening. I hope they're able to, uh, really understand how to find a great sport performance coach for their kid. Um, rather than it's not the equipment, it's not going to be the, how beautiful the place is. You know, I know Bert Soren said when he was a kid, usually the best strength coach back then was a guy out of his garage. It's kind of like a secret guy. You know, they didn't have a facility. The best equipment is not what's going to make the best athlete. It's, you know, you need a great coach and people got to realize they're one piece of the puzzle. There's a lot of moving parts that need to be, uh, you know, they say, I'll say, I'll close out on this text. They're always like leaders take the blame for everything. Well, you know, at the high school I'm at, I'm not going to blame myself for a kid who doesn't want to show up. Mm-hmm. I'm just not. That sounds, that gets, maybe he's not showing up because of me or, or whatever. But look, um, eventually you got to show up. You can't be inconsistent. And to develop a great athlete, I'm going to tell you, it takes years. Sometimes I look back on a kid and I'm like, man, I've been with this kid for seven years and now – He's coming into his own. Why? He wasn't a genetically gifted freak. He had to put in all the work, and it's just taking a lot of time. And I never take a dad or mom's investment in us lightly, their financial investment, their time investment, because I know what it's like. We travel the country for sports. Mm -hmm. It's crazy (laughs) to find a great coach. It's not easy to find a great coach. That's the heartbreaking thing.
0: No, but now that, that kid and that family, they have a, a great relationship with training, hard work, yep. fitness that will now have reverberation to his, his kids, hopefully.
1: Yeah, it's a lifetime thing.
0: Yeah, all from all right. a great coach.
1: All right, cool. my bro. All
0: right, Zach, if people want to get to hold of you and sign up for your old school newsletter, are you still doing yeah. mail
1: copies? No, that was just <laughs> for the gym members. So the Underground Strength Gym. Is you know the we're in New Jersey, and then I have my almost daily email newsletter at ZachStrength.com, and then we got the Strong Life Podcast. It's it.
0: always worth a listen. I tune in, I highly recommend the the episode with Raphael Ruiz. Lots uh, yeah. of wormholes with that one. All right. <laughs> Until problem. we meet again, Zach. And yeah, will brother. I see you at Summer Strong?
1: Absolutely. I'm making it happen.
0: All right. All right, pal I'll see you in May. Thank you very much.
1: Later, my bro.